Welcome to this episode of The Connection Podcast. Today we chat with Elder Robert Salgado just days after we returned from his mission both in Leighton, Utah and Lima, Peru. We had a great discussion with Robert. This was actually led by several youth in our wards, so extra special in that way too. We discuss a variety of topics, including him finding a temple in the middle of nowhere while going on a service mission before leaving for his full-time proselyting mission. We also dive into his own personal conversions story, how he came to know the church was true when he was a teenager. We talk about being called to a certain place for a reason, piggybacking on our conversation with the Corneliuses last episode. And lastly, how to deal with distractions and get along with people, which is, man, I mean, isn't that applicable to pretty much all of us? I think you'll really enjoy this episode and we'll talk soon. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. We have a big panel here today. We're super excited about today's episode because we have returning missionary RM, Elder Salgado. How's it going? And joining us, we have Lexi DeLuna. Hi. Evie Woodward. Hey. And Andrew Marchant. Hey, everyone. Very good looking quarter zip you have on right there, by the way. Thank you. I'm just yep. repping the, the podcast merch. Yep. I need one of those. That, you, you might need one I'm a of fan of the, I'm a fan of this podcast, so it's kind of cool. Hey, you, t- you told me on your drive over that you listened to a few of the episodes. Of course. I think I probably have like five left to hear. I've heard of all of them. <laughs> I've heard all of them already. So cool to hear. Well, thank you for being a listener, Robert. And we're going to get started here. So you returned... Uh, how long ago? When did you come back from your mission? What what day officially? Two weeks ago, yesterday. Okay, so. Where, and you served your mission over in Lima, Peru. Previous to that, it was in Leighton, Utah. Correct. Right. Yep. Yep. So my question to start off here, I, it, we're talking about food, right? Let's Which go. isn't a big surprise. As a Keister no, household, we talk about food. There that's, that's the deal. And you brought in some bread that you bake for us, yes, which sir. thank you for that. Of course. We have got some food from the Mennonite Bakery that we just stopped at this weekend. Awesome. So I think we're just going to stay on food for a bit here. But first off, I wanted to ask, when you get home, what is the first thing that you want to go get as far as food? When I get home, okay, they're called galoncitos. It's a Hispanic. I don't even know what's Peruvian. I might be Mexican. I don't know, but. They're basically chocolate-covered Twinkies that have jelly inside of them. And so I bought some yesterday at Winko. And They're definitely in Mexico, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're in Peru. They're probably just all over Latin America. But um, I thought it was just in Peru. I have never seen them before my mission on, at my house or just anywhere in Winko. And I saw them yesterday, so I bought them, and they're incredible. They're just lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's a good recommendation. So we we haven't gotten a habit of doing it, but that's a Robert recommendation. There we here. go. Yeah. So that's our pick for the week. Yeah. And then Andrew, you wanted to know more about food in Peru, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah. Uh, I was wondering what was your favorite meal, either in Peru or Utah, anywhere on your mission. What was the best meal you had? Awesome. I want you guys to join with me in saying this word because it's a little hard to say. It's called Pachamanca. Pachamanca. There we go. (laughs) Pachamanca. All right. So any kind of Peruvian kind of of dish is always going to have three things. Chicken, rice, and potatoes. Anything. It's, It's... 
It's just so common over there, but cooked three million different types of ways, right? So pachamanca is a dish more in the mountains. So there's these special herbs um, that they use to prepare it and they marinate the chicken or steak or beef or pig, whatever. And they make a hole in the ground, right? They make just a big hole in the ground and then they heat up like rocks, like just these big boulder rocks. But they heat them up to like, if you touch them, like you might just burn it to the bone. Like they're hot. And so basically once they're about a good amount of heat, they put them in the ground and then they put like the potatoes, they put some plantains that are sweet. Uh, They put uh, sweet potatoes also, which are really, really good over there. And yeah, once they have that, that's when they put, that's when they take out like the the big pot of just the pachamanca just kind of marinating in this really, really good like herb, like herb just like mix. And then they just kind of put it on the rocks. They just lay it right on the rocks and they just kind of let it cook. They cover up with, some, with a tarp maybe. They just kind of let it cook for maybe a half hour, a good 45 minutes. And then they take it off. Obviously, they take off the chicken or the pork or whatever it's first. And then they just serve it right on the plate, just hot. Uh, they cut it up into different pieces and you just get straight to digging. And I don't know, I can't honestly explain how it tastes, but it's it's just heaven. It's a different kind of flavor of food that you've just ever tasted like in the food family, if, I, if that makes sense. No, I, I totally get it. Yeah. I can I can relate to what you're talking about. And you guys will see this when you go on your mission too. You'll you'll try something that is unique that you've never had before. And then you come home and try something similar and you're like, that ain't it. I don't know what, but it, it's not the same. Interesting. So Robert, you bake. I at least know yeah. that. I knew that before. Yeah. Like you have baked some stuff for us and, and you are very talented in that realm. Do you cook too or? Um, I can, I, I can cook, but I don't know. I just, I just, I don't feel like my hands are just for cooking. <laughs> it's, it's like when I, if, if I'm play, if I play a sport, I don't know. Say if I play, I play baseball. I can play baseball, but I just don't feel like I'm playing baseball. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But if I'm playing basketball, I feel like I'm playing basketball. I don't know how to explain that. But anytime I bake, I just feel like I belong doing this. I don't know. But when I cook, it's like ah, just something's not right. I just I feel like I just shouldn't be doing this. So I can cook, but I just prefer baking. I don't yeah, know. yeah, no, no, no. It's that's, just it's a feeling. I don't know. It, it's your jam. It's it's in your DNA. You know that's awesome. Any, yeah. any other food thoughts here, guys? Are we? Yeah, I want to know like on the mission if there are any foods that got just so repetitive. Like mm. you're like I cannot eat any more of this. Yes, in Utah. Oh my gosh. So what what we did in Utah is that we had a, a food calendar. It's kind of like the same thing we had here. Everyone signs up for every single day. They give us lunch. And literally for four days straight, they give us red spaghetti. So like a month, so like on Tuesday, we got spaghetti. And the next day, we got more spaghetti. And then by the time we were just like kind of finished, like we, I remember me and my companion, we just went to go eat something else. And so we just had like this Tupperware of spaghetti. I went to go. We were hoping, obviously, like there's no way we're gonna get spaghetti, and they gave us spaghetti. The next family, <laughs> and so by this time we just had like just just four Tupper's Tupperware of just just spaghetti because we're just tired of spaghetti, <laughs> and so we just ended up just throwing it away because we're just we were just so done. And honestly, it wasn't even really good. 
What really kind of weirded me out was that a lot of Hispanics in Utah didn't cook us something from their country. They just cooked us like American food. It's like my first, my first like lunch there. They just gave us just like lasagna. <laughs> this one from Costco that was like frozen, but it was. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was still good. But I don't know, coming, people coming from a different country that have really incredible food just they didn't cook it. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. Something just got super repetitive, which is red spaghetti. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm relating to what you're saying. Did you get to the point of maybe having some spaghetti burps at some? Yeah, point? yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, Okay. Well, let's let's introduce you properly. So, as you probably are aware, the audience of the podcast is growing uh, steadily throughout our time. We're almost coming up on a year, which is crazy. Ooh. So, not everyone necessarily uh, is from our ward or, or knows you personally. So, could you share? Let's just say hypothetically, you go into a new ward and, and are talking about yourself and go. Yeah. Uh, my name is Robert Salgado. Um, I'm 20 years old. I was born in California when I was two years old. I came to live here in Oregon. I'm Peruvian. I'm also Mexican. I'm also Japanese. And I'm here in Springfield. <laughs> so I just got back from a mission and the Utah Lake mission, the Peru Lima East mission. And I like to longboard. So that's me. Let, let's start asking some questions here i know that a big part of our episode is going to be focusing on your mission which of course right yeah <laughs> um, we're excited about that and definitely will be sharing with youth and adults alike but andrew let's start with you what what questions do you want to ask robert about uh you had a a little bit here in the stories of your life that says you found a temple in the middle of nowhere yeah <laughs> Could you elaborate on that? Of course. Um, right before COVID hit, uh, this was December 2019. COVID hit in about February 2020. I don't know why, but I remember just sitting on my couch watching TV on my phone. Out of nowhere, I just remember this memory of a friend that I had that went to Africa to go do humanitarian service. And I was like, I want to do that. That'd be super cool. So I just kind of looked it up on my phone, just, I don't know, like world service volunteer, anything. And I just clicked on the first link. And I don't know why, but I just signed up. I was like, I will be here. I will be in Costa Rica. That's just the first country that I got at this date. And I signed myself up. I didn't even think twice about it. I just went for it. And then when I got like all these emails from people like asking me, okay, like you're going you're gonna to be doing this. You're going to be doing this. I was like, wait, did I just sign myself up for this? What am I doing? Uh, I signed up originally to teach English uh, to uh, little kids. I'm like, who wouldn't want to teach kids English to little kids? So that sounds awesome. And then I tell my I tell my mom about it. Uh, she's like, well, are you kidding? Is this a joke? Like, why why are you going? Like, it's gonna be Christmas like in like two weeks. It was it was also weird because I was I plan on going a week before Christmas break started. So I technically would have had, I technically had three weeks, almost a month of just Christmas break. And so I convinced my mom, I got, I got to Costa Rica and I taught English for a week uh, to some immigrants. And originally it was going to be kids, but then they told me like, ah, uh, we actually have enough teachers for kids. So we're going to teach it to the adults. I'm like, okay, no worries. I'll do that. And so I taught from, I got there Saturday, Sunday, there wasn't class Monday to Friday. Uh, there was class and Saturday I was leaving. And so Saturday at, 
at around nine o'clock was my flight, I, I think. And so I thought, I want to go to the temple. It's like Saturday, like in the afternoon, I have like all my stuff packed. But for some reason, I just couldn't get off my mind that I need to go to the temple. And so after I finished my, after I finished teaching, I just got an Uber and I realized I didn't have any church clothes. And so I just got an Uber to Walmart. He took me to Walmart and I just found just this, this, the best clothes I could buy for like something like for the temple, because all I had, what I, what I had on was just like some cargo shorts, a red flannel and a hoodie. And for some reason I thought maybe I could go to the temple like that, but that, that, didn't, that wasn't going to swing. So I got to the Walmart. I just bought, it's like a, there wasn't any white shirts. So I just bought like a, a, the lightest gray shirt there was some, some dark blue pants, bought the stuff. And I realized that I didn't have any service anymore. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I just, I didn't have any service. So I asked like the cash register guy after I bought all the stuff, uh, where can I get Wi-Fi? He's like, yeah, there's a McDonald's around here. You should go find it. I'm like, okay, I'll go find it. How am I going to find it when I don't have service? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, just imagine like you somehow you live in Costa Rica and you just see like a random guy like in a flannel and a hoodie with a bag, like a plastic bag just running in the middle of nowhere. Because I have a flight at nine, right? Yeah. I had to leave at nine to get to my flight. And so I'm literally just running in the weirdest directions anywhere to go find this McDonald's that has Wi-Fi. I just straight, I just simply just do not have service. I don't know why. But what I will forever be grateful for, I swear this is the Lord. Somehow, even though I may not have service, the maps still worked. The directions didn't work, but just all like the locations on the map were still all there. And so I could see my location and I just ran. <laughs> I had to, because I, I didn't have time just, uh, just to sit around and kind of ask for help. I just had to run. And, um, I kept running. I found the McDonald's. And now imagine you're in a McDonald's and you see just this guy <laughs> that's sweating. He's in a he's in a hoodie and a flannel, red flannel. And he walks in just like he's like looks like he's on like acid or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes to like a co he goes to like a work and he's like, What's the Wi-Fi? And they, she gives me the Wi-Fi. So happily. I'm so so happy. And I just went to the bathroom. And I was walking, as I was walking to the bathroom, I just see everyone just stare at me. Literally everybody in there was staring at me. Not one person wasn't eating. They were just all staring at me. And so that was a little strange. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't I don't blame them whatsoever. But I changed into the Walmart. I got the Uber. <laughs> and so imagine you're still eating your McDonald's and you see that same guy come out, but just like in church clothes. <laughs> and so now you're probably just freaking out. Like, what's this guy doing? And I was like, I don't care. They're never going to see me again. I don't care. So I just, I got into the Uber. The Uber guy took me to the temple and uh, I got to the temple. It was really, really cool. It was closer than I thought. I was able to do some baptisms. And what's really, really cool is that there was a family I met at church uh, when I first got to uh, Costa Rica. And I remember them telling me that they were, um, they were working at the temple, just uh, volunteer. And I saw them there. And luckily, they were actually able to take me home because I also had no idea how to get home. I just found a temple and I just found it. I didn't really get to that point where I'm like, oh, how am I going to get back? <laughs> so 
that was like the do baptisms. I did the confirmations up to that. And uh, I just had like a really, really great time having just this perspective that no matter where I was at, I just I just felt like I, I knew I just needed to go to the temple. I'm going to ask you in a second about why you felt you were supposed to go there. Looking back, you know, in retrospect, but first, I just want to say, man, the tenacity to stick with it, because I think for a lot of us, the second we saw there was no Wi-Fi, okay, <laughs> guess I'm going to the airport <laughs> early. So yeah. uh, do you have a sense or feeling looking back at why you were prompted to go to the temple that day? Or? I did. I do. Uh, after I was done doing baptisms and confirmations, I was waiting for the family to come out and because they were still finishing up. Uh, some things I there was like this waiting um, this waiting hall just like this little living room I'm just waiting and I just remember sitting there waiting and then this lady comes and sits next she, she just sits next to me and it was so crazy cool because it's like she knew me I I introduced myself she got to know me she just sat next to me and so we just, she just started talking to me and uh, I told her about how the whole time I had how how I got here, the the things I had to go through, getting clothes, just uh, going to McDonald's, stuff like that. And she kind of just thanked me. It was like I really admire how much you put the per- you put the temple in, in first place. And she was saying so many things. It's like, do we know each other? I swear you know me. And the spirit was just incredible. I don't know really who she was. But I kind of just felt like she was just put there really as a, a demonstration that God will thank you for for your opportunities to serve. He really loves you and he will do anything you can, even when you may feel like you're lost or you may not feel like where you know where you're going. So kind of having that as like a cherry on top after being super confused in a rush, not knowing where to go. And then doing baptisms and confirmations and coming out of that and waiting. I was like, it kind of felt like it was a thank you. I honestly would never ask for thank yous after going to the temple. Nobody, I don't think anybody would. But kind of having that, I was like, wow, this is this is incredible. I don't even know this lady. And she has so much love for just kind of what I probably did. But I just did it because I know the Lord wanted me to do it. And so... Looking back, that was such an incredible experience and it really grew my testimony of how much I cherish the temple now, especially now that I've been able to be endowed, I've been able to um, go on my mission and see the blessings of the covenants of the, the temple endowment. That was really just an incredible experience it's really just know that, I mean, the Lord cares how much you care about the temple. And it makes me think a little bit about the chapter in Alma where he talks about building our faith and experimenting with the words of God. Obviously, we've been encouraged to go to the temple, and those experiences become the foundation of a testimony. I was curious, Robert, how did, how did you come to know the church is true? It's a great, great question. So uh, my parents are converts. My mom was baptized when she was 25 in Peru. Uh, I think it was in the, right in the 80s. Uh, I was baptized at the age of eight. And my dad was able to be uh, converted to the gospel a year after my baptism. Um, and he was Catholic when I was growing up before my baptism. So kind of having two perspectives of one going to the Catholic church when I was little and going to um, the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, 
it was a little strange for me. I don't know. I just didn't really understand why they went to two different churches and I just kind of went with it. I played it in the seats anyway, so I just wanted to just play with my toys. But basically, I was getting older. I never really understood the gospel. It always felt like it just was like a math equation I could never solve. Anytime I try to pay attention, it's like, okay, now I'm so confused even more. I would be dead scared to be called on when a teacher or any kind of leader would, I would be asking for questions or like, what would they think about like a scripture? I would even be scared to like even be called on to like read a scripture because I know there's always a follow-up question. Okay, what did you understand? That was, was my like my nightmare because I did not, I was not ready to answer any of that because I knew I wouldn't understand it. So for a long time, I just truly just, it just really never made sense to me. Um, I knew it was something important. I knew the church was something that I could go to for help, but I, it never really clicked in with me until I had an experience in high school where I found myself kind of just doubting everything that I ever believed in. And so the primary answers, kind of things about the restoration, Joseph Smith, I was hit with a lot of just anti-doctrine stuff. It kind of opened my eyes to the reality of kind of what's true in the church. And so when I got to that, it really was scary because that's when I was really doubting, like, am I actually going to go to church anymore? Am I, do I need to go to a different church? And I was, I remember thinking in my bed, like, okay, there's this church that my friend's going to, maybe I could go there. But I didn't like that. I, I, I generally didn't like that. I just was kind of against everything I believed in now. And so we all know what to do when we have questions and we have doubts. And that's get on your knees. Luckily, this was uh, a time of the year when it was Christmas break. Um, so I had two weeks to figure this out because uh, I knew school was going to start up again and there's going to be lots of homework and that would just distract me completely. I just remember praying my absolute heart out. It was kind of frustrating a little too because I just wanted the answer as soon as possible. It was just kind of just not how the timing I wanted. And what was really, really cool about that also time is our seminary teacher um, challenged us to read at least one chapter of the Book of Mormon every single day. And I was pretty good with that. Even though I may have been doubting what I believed, I still felt like I just needed to do this. And so one day uh, after praying and praying and just really frustrated and just super caught up on how am I going to know if this is really something I should continue. Right before I was going to sleep, I was reading in 2 Nephi 31. To be honest, I don't remember really the first part of the chapter, but there's only there's one verse that really made the whole difference. And if it's not if it wasn't for this scripture, I can promise you I would not be here. Uh, it's Second Nephi thirty one twenty one, and it says, "And now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way, and there is none other way, nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God." And now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ and the only and true doctrine of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God, without end. Amen. When I read that, it was like just a huge wave of chills just, just throughout my body. And just the impact of when it said that, behold, this is the doctrine of Christ and the only and true doctrine uh, of the Father. When I read that and when the chills came, instantly knew 
what my answer was. And right then and there, I decided a lots of things. When I receive an answer to something, I'm pretty fast at deciding things. I don't really like to second guess myself. I'm I'm just fast at what I do. So right then and there, I decided to go on a mission. I decided to get sealed in the temple eventually when I get to that point. And I decided that from now on, I have to learn this gospel to the best of my abilities to come closer to God like I ever had before. Uh, because I didn't do that before. I, I really care or really made sense to me to do that. And I had I have to one day able to teach this to my kids. That since then I kind of just just try to learn the gospel from YouTube, from asking lots of leaders different questions because I had lots of questions, just different some things that just never made sense to me. But in about six months, uh, just a just a really really big grind of just studying the scriptures, asking questions, kind of putting all the puzzle pieces together. This is, it, it kind of came to me, I was like, wow, this is great. I just love having answers. You don't have to always live with doubts. You don't have to always live with confusion. Since then, I have just done my best to absolutely come closer to God and uh, see myself at a happier state of where I am. Yeah. I, one thing I love about that whole process for you too, and everybody's story is different, but I like how you receive that am- answer and confirmation what I'm hearing too is that you felt God's love, oh, but you still had questions. It wasn't like everything got answered. Mm-hmm. It, it was more the mentality of, okay, well, I, I'd received this witness. Now I got to figure the rest out <laughs> or yeah. figure out what I can. So I just, I really appreciate that about you. I think that's a pretty cool perspective. I wanted to go to Evie and then to Lexi and have you guys lead the conversation a little bit here. I know Evie's got a lot of good questions written down. Same with Lexi. Okay, so this one's going to kind of lead more into um, your mission. But I was on the podcast a couple uh, weeks ago, and I remember something that the mission president, Cornelius, said. He said uh, that in his training that they were told a missionary is like assigned to the people over the place. And so I'm kind of interested in like, who do you think you really connected with on your mission or like maybe group and individual and I just want to have a very broad question to see what you have. Yeah, seen. no, that's 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 an incredible question. One thing that I always helped missionaries see when I was a leader uh, was kind of helping them see even they even though they may not like their area, they may not like their companion, they may not like the circumstances within where they're in. You, they are together for a reason in this area at this time, especially in their mission and other lives. I have a testimony that because when I was in my second area, I was with a kind of a hard companion. Sometimes we would get along, sometimes we didn't. And he was just really, really different from my last companion. Um, But we were able to teach um, two young girls that for almost two years just were never able to get baptized. They They just kind of just kept falling off the earth and never really... The past missionaries told me that they just it just never felt like it was their time. And so I was like, okay, well, we got to do something about this. We, we got to help them out. And so I remember our first lesson there. Uh, it was an incredible lesson. Uh, me and my companion and, and the two girls and their mom uh, just clicked so well. And eventually that ended up with them getting baptized. And so I remember after their baptism, some of the missionaries that were teaching were teaching them uh, or have taught them in the past, they came to the baptism. And there was one missionary that told me that you guys were exactly the missionaries that they needed to hear so they could 
be able to get baptized. And for me, that was a super tender experience because uh, that was something super, super sweet that anybody could say, right? I didn't really know how much that was true. But kind of looking back, sometimes it really just truly feels like if it will, if it really wasn't for the circumstances we were in as a companionship, also being in that era at that time of my mission and the time of his mission, a time of their lives, sometimes you just can't call those things coincidences. And honestly, I don't even believe in more coincidences. I just believe in God's plan. After I had that experience, I just saw lots and lots of different missionaries and different companionships where I could just really, really see a reason why they're all there together. It is true. It really isn't about a place you go. It's about the timing and the people you're with. Sometimes, literally, and I wouldn't even say sometimes, it's really just like all the time, missionaries are put together because God needs them to be together. And I have a strong, strong testimony that every single missionary that has a companion that who they're with, it's because God wants them to be with them. And I've seen many, 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 many lessons that I've had to learn because I had the companion I had in the area where I was in with the people that we were teaching. Those things just can't be coincidences, honestly. And it's really, really cool. Sometimes it may be really hard, but in the end, it just all kind of comes out better than you expected. Yeah, I love what you're saying about uh, they're not coincidences. Like, I think for me, Sister Raven last year, she's our seminary teacher. She was constantly talking about like finding God's hand in your life and looking for God's hand in your life. And then uh, Tina Marchant the other day in seminary, she was saying, she was saying like, look at how God has helped you in the past and look at how you see his hand now and what he's going to do for you in the future. And it's just yeah. like, there's so much that correlates together that it just can't be coincidence. It's like yeah. 110% God's hand. And it's so cool to like see those experiences in your own life, but also like even just hear about them in other people's lives. It's a total like testament that like God knows what's going on and he's He's helping us out like every step in the way. Yeah, that's awesome. I think one thing that came up today too, so you spoke in sacrament with your mom and also Alan Marchant, who was bishop most of the time, you know, during yeah. your years growing up in the youth program. And one thing that Alan talked about was no matter the stage in our life, getting along with people, whether they're people we easily mess with or where, whether they're people that are kind of difficult is, is super important. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk more about maybe lessons you, you learned on your mission or outside of the mission as far as how to get along with a variety of different people. Definitely. Oh, this is a great question. Just because it just differs from every person. Um, what I loved about all my companions is that it kind of felt like every companion I had was just like a Christ-like attribute that I still needed to gain. And so some of them really, really pushed buttons that I didn't know buttons could be pushed. <laughs> I didn't know some of those buttons existed, right? And um, what I just loved about it is that the ability to have a capacity of those Christ-like attributes still grows. Right now, you probably guys probably feel like you have patience until it gets tried, right? And then you're like, oh, you have no patience. And so on the mission, uh, I was I had the blessing. I call it a blessing, honestly. Now looking back at that time, it was probably a curse. But looking back, 
I have those attributes that I've always wanted to gain or I'm still trying to gain, but I have a better understanding and perspective of it uh, because I had a, per a couple hard companions. And I'm thankful that uh, the ability to be charitable is universal. Every single companion, I had to mm -hmm. understand how can I help them differently from others? How can I not bother them, I guess, uh, by not saying some things? Typically, uh, I would do anything uh, just to make sure that they're having a good time. Every single Friday after you weekly plan, there's, there's always uh, called an inventory. My last mission we called a, a, a companionship council. Inventory is sometimes a little too harsh, but uh, at the end of this uh, inventory, this uh, companionship council, you guys always need to counsel. You guys always need to figure out what in your companionship can you do better to work better to work better really and to just be better friends and so i always did my absolute best to at least say like okay was there something i did this week was there something that i could have done better i don't want you to have an experience a really bad experience with me so help me know what is it that i can do so that you can have a better experience with me or just on the mission in general so that's where a lot of humility comes in because you know, I mean obviously you don't want to change for other people but in this case, if, if if it makes you work better as a companionship and you can see fruits uh, in the work because of that, by all means, please, we got to do whatever you got to do. Maybe you don't like it how, I don't know, I walk past you uh, on a Tuesday afternoon and, and I don't know. And, or maybe you don't like, you don't like it when I play this song at this specific time, right? That's okay. We can, we can work through that. So I learned a lot. I mean, I'm not married, but I learned a lot what it's like in a marriage, honestly. So getting along with different kinds of people is kind of uh, is kind of like a challenge, but it's also kind of like something that you kind of look forward to because it helps you understand how you can get how you can get along with more people. And that's that's kind of like the, the challenge, but also kind of the part where it's rewarding because it just really helps you understand a better perspective of how you can help other people. I always like. I always thought on my mission is that even though we're helping other people, we're trying to serve other people, we're also there to serve our companions. Well, missionary, yeah, the missionary companionship is not quite like marriage. I would say yeah. it's it, marriage is a little better and you get to take a break from each other. That's fair. That is fair. <laughs> Which is not true with the mission. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of similarities, though. I, I totally agree I with bet. you on that. I bet. And, and it's definitely a help for later in life. One thing I love from the Book of Mormon, I, I love a lot of the stories from Captain Moroni. Oh, yeah. And one one thing I was just reflecting on when we were thinking about this topic is when Captain Moroni, when they conquer the Lamanites and they take a bunch of them as prisoner, and here are these people that basically tried to kill all of them and wipe them off the face of the earth. And the first thing that he does is talk with them about the gospel, you know, and they, they come back and they say, I want to join the church. He said, great. You know, think of the amount of humility and, and compassion and kindness that would take for somebody who was your mortal enemy to immediately accept them yeah. like that. I, I think that's so admirable, probably hard to do, but it, it's something that I aspire to because I think they're in various ways, you know, we're all under attack by somebody or, or some group of people. And how do we treat those people? How do we react? I wanted to ask, I did give you guys a warning about this. I wanted to ask the whole panel, how do you guys deal with 
people who maybe are difficult or or you just don't naturally get along with and we'll we'll just go around i guess i'll start for me uh dealing with difficult people i try to see the things that we're talking about these arguments that we have from their perspective i try to turn around and say um where do they come from what is their position and instead of putting that mental block and saying i'm right they're wrong um, because I know better, I try to try to say, well, why do why do they think what they think, and try to try to put myself in their shoes. I'm not always that good at it, though. Sometimes I just avoid the person entirely, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is not yeah. great. But I'm I'm working on it. So. Yeah, and I what I'm getting from what you're saying too is that you know, making yourself an ally to them. And I, I think part of it is walking in their shoes because, it, and it's not true with everybody. There are some people that are just hard to get along with. And, and sometimes you just have to cut bait and say, I'm not going to be around this person, right? But that's few and far between. I, I think for a lot of people, they need to feel safety and know that you're a safe person for them. And once they feel that, it, the relationship can change. And I, I think Robert too, you did a lot of creating safety in your companionships just by taking criticism and asking for feedback on things that you were doing. So I, I think that's pretty cool and something that I'm learning from too. Uh, what do you guys think, Evie, uh, Lexi, about just dealing with other people? I feel like I often take, I take charge of like, I'm, I'm thinking of like a school example of like projects or something. I like to lead and I think when dealing with harder people, it's a lot of times it's better for me to like pull back, uh, let them kind of take charge of something and just kind of ride along with them because I often have the mindset of I could do it better or it would just be better if I'm just doing this by myself. And so just allowing them to uh, build the foundation, make the steps, and then me just kind of like assisting. And that allows me to like, I can help in ways that I see like, once they've laid out the foundation in front of me, I can see where I would fit best into that equation. Cool. That's great. Yeah. Taking a step back, man, that is not easy to do. I'll, t I'll say that for sure. Oh, that is, that is not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> so that's great. Thank you. That Thank you for that. What about you, Lexi? Yeah, I think for me, um, I have to, I have to try to like extra hard to like humanize the person. Like I have to, think of them like it's myself or something like that or I have to try to think of them like how Heavenly Father would think of them because I mean I'll just share like a quick experience from a couple months ago but we were on a hike in Utah to Pinogas Caves mm. and we were hiking up to the caves and my sister is deathly afraid of caves right she's like <laughs> she's like basically having like an anxiety attack like on the hike up and I was just like standing there like, I love hikes. I love caves. This is so cool to me. I was like, I was definitely kind of judging her. Like I was sitting back there and I was like, <laughs> Carla, you're overreacting. Like this is so stupid. Oh my gosh, right? And then um, we get to the top of the hike and we're in the caves and Parallel's still, you know, like kind of having a hard time and I'm still kind of judging her. And then we get out of the cave and it is pouring down rain like on the way up total sunshine but on the way out like pouring down rain and there's thunder and lightning and one of my biggest fears like ever is thunder and lightning don't know why but it is and i'm like 
okay, this is God trying to like humble me and tell me that I'm not any better than my sister. And I just kind of need that perspective to be like, she she has fears, I have fears. We're we're so similar and so alike. And it's not my place to judge her, to have conflict with her because we may not necessarily see eye to eye on one thing. Like to me, it was just a cave, but to her, it wasn't. And I think that applies to like a lot of relationships in my life, whether it's just with like, like acquaintances. Like I think... I just kind of have to see them as the fact that just because it's not my thing or because maybe I don't think the same way as they do doesn't mean that they as a person are any less valid or any less valuable in God's eyes. And it's just like I kind of just need to take a step back and remember that and remember that I I probably am not everybody's favorite person and that's okay. And but to God, we're all we're all his children. He loves us equally. Yeah, I think I talked about this on the last episode, but one thing that's been helpful for me too is along with what you're saying, Lexi, and humanizing people is if I'm having a hard time really connecting with somebody or or feeling love for them, I I try to visualize them having the happiest day of their life. And it it actually works. It sounds so corny, but it it really helps with a lot of people to to remember that they're a child of God and and human just like us. I just love picturing that trip too with you guys of like your mom and dad going, great. Now we have two people having a panic attack. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Super fun. <laughs> no, but it's totally like rolls reversed on the way down. I was like, oh my gosh, this is definitely like God just <laughs> trying to humble me. <laughs> but yeah, with what you're saying though, that's that like imagining someone having like the happiest day of their life. I do that too. And it's just like, you you can't help but like smile and just be like that's so sweet like it's yeah people are so when you can connect with them and think of them as like a a child of god it's just so much easier to love them what did you want to talk with robert about now so you wrote down that you um have been learning about the fact that distraction is very dangerous and i i wanted to hear a bit more about that especially because on a mission you naturally i think can eliminate a lot of those distractions because they're not gonna you don't take your phone on your mission you're not sitting down watching tv all day yep so maybe uh if you could expand on like what that's like being able to like eliminate those distractions and how your life kind of has changed and what you've learned about it of course um my first couple days when i got back i kind of saw myself kind of redoing the habits that i had before the mission taking out my phone automatically checking Instagram, automatically checking Facebook, automatically checking Messenger. And then, I don't know why, but before you go to sleep, you automatically check Instagram, you automatically check Facebook. And I don't know why, but it took me a couple of days to realize like, I hate this. Like, (laughs) why am I doing this? I didn't even realize I was doing it because it's just a habit I had before the mission. I didn't know that habit could just come back. And I did. But what I loved about my mission is that we only use the phone uh, for the missionary purpose. If you're going to text somebody, if you're going to call anybody, if you're going to maybe check a text, anything like that, you only use the phone when you need to use it. And you never really, you never really should use it when you're kind of just bored or you're just kind of just want to look up something. I learned a lot from that because when I got here and I have my own phone and I can do whatever I want on it. I realize just how much of an importance it is to have a purpose with what you're doing with your time and your day. 
And so little by little, I saw myself getting more distracted than I thought I was. And that's when I really kind of saw Satan trying to really get me through the distractions that we have through our lives every single day. Satan likes to take those distractions, disguise them as something normal. And little by little, we kind of just lose ourselves without even realizing that it's happening. And I'm so happy. I noticed it so fast. And so I made lots of goals and using my phone, using it for the right reasons, not using it past 10, limiting my time with social media. Obviously, it's it's nice to maybe look it up, look up some things, see how somebody's doing, but not more, at least not more than 10 minutes a day. That's kind of what I'm trying to do, limit to only 10 minutes a day. If something's an emergency, maybe, or if I'm, I don't know, feeling like I should look at it a little more, maybe, maybe, maybe 15, 20 minutes might be the max. Because really, these things can consume us and it consumes our time. Something I learned a lot is just using your time wisely. I remember my, I think my third or second day back home, I remember just kind of looking at, looking, just looking at Instagram. Uh, like from 9.30 and the last time I checked the time was 11. I was like, there's no way an hour and a half just came, just passed by in my life. And I use that on Instagram and I can promise you my life is not better after that hour and a half. So kind of just going uh, and seeing the result that I'm still the same person. I'm not someone better or closer to Christ. I'm not closer to God because I just use this hour and a half. That's kind of what I use on myself now. If something's not for the benefit of me coming closer to God or becoming a better person uh, or moving forward with my life, whether it comes to family, a job, uh, study, relationship with God, friends, if there's no benefit from doing that, why do it? That's kind of what I've learned so far right now. You have to be very, very careful because it's normal to have those kind of distractions. It's so normal to make a TikTok. It's so normal to just be on Facebook or Instagram for that amount of time. And just kind of seeing all the time that I was able to use in my mission and not be on social media or be consumed by something that I didn't realize consuming me. Wow, it's super nice to really open my eyes and kind of realize like these things can be dangerous sometimes. I would just like to ask something. So I was kind of reflecting on of course, I haven't uh, been on a mission, but uh, I was able to go to FSY this year, mm. uh, this summer. And one of the, I think, one of the greatest things that stuck out was the taking it home message of carrying that spirit with you um, as you return home. And so uh, it was very personal experiences. Like we wrote down what goals that we or think or feelings that we had during that FSY that we absolutely like wanted to apply to our lives. And so what is something? How have you kept that spirit with you? Like, what is what is something that you absolutely need in your life after your mission? What I absolutely need in my life is constantly learning about the covenants I made with God. If it's anything that I've come to know uh, Jesus Christ better, it's through my covenants. So I have to get, I have to know better my baptismal covenant. I have to get, I have way better knowledge of how the sacrament works. I have to come way, way closer to the the command the the covenants I made in, in in the temple and striving to make more covenants and that's something that's kind of guided me so far something that you also mentioned was kind of writing down those those goals and those plans I think there's if there's one thing that you're gonna hear a lot when you go to mission or our goals and plans 
in Preach My Gospel, it says that goals are a reflection of our desire, mm-hmm. right? So they, they kind of reflect what we want. What do you want? I want to make this amount of money. I want to lose this amount of weight. Uh, I want to have this kind of job before the end of the year. Mm. I want to have these. I want to have these grades. Like that's what that's what you want, right? So what do you have to do to do that? You make plans for those kind of goals. So that's something I get a, a really big testimony of my mission. You want to find as many people at the end of the week? Okay, make those plans. What are you going to do exactly, specifically? If it's not going well, okay, let's adjust it. Let's make some. Let's make some differences. And little by little, if you involve the Lord in these goals and plans. I can promise you he will help you succeed more than you thought you would have. And it's it's honestly uh, really, really cool just to involve the Lord in just those things specifically that you want. And so I think kind of connecting that with the things that I have kind of kept me, kept my fire going, kept my spirituality going, uh, is also kind of always remembering uh, the goals that I made before uh, I, I left my mission, continuing them, seeing how I can uh, go in above them. Now that I'm here, what can I do better? What are some different goals maybe I can add on or maybe something I can maybe adjust, maybe lower or higher them. But always keeping in mind that the covenants that I made are my focus. And that's something I, I need to help always myself to come to better understand. So I I like that conversation too about goal setting as it pertains to distractions because I think they go hand in hand. I think that's one way where you combat those natural distractions. Just as we were talking, I was thinking about Nephi's dream. And we we get fixated, of course, of course we do, right, on the great and spacious building oh, yeah. and, and what that represents. And, and, of course, the iron rod and the people following that. But I, I was thinking about the filthy waters, too, that people are stuck in and uh, just how that can represent how we can get stuck in these distractions of the world. You know, the world offers distraction and sedation just to help us deal with all of the stress that we face every day. I wanted to talk a little bit about the goals and how they pertain to fighting that distraction because I I think that what you're really speaking to is learning to understand our heart and what our heart wants. You know, one of my favorite questions to ask people, and I, I have it on our mini-series of the podcast, I ask people this question is, what would you do if you had an extra hour every day? Mm. And the, the reason I love that question so much is because it's a nice thought experiment that really helps you try to channel into what your heart is really asking for. And what I'm amazed by is I never get an answer of, oh, I would play more video games <laughs> or I would, oh, good, because I would have a little more extra time on Facebook. You know, it's yeah. it's usually, you know, I would start a new hobby. I would go on a hike. I would read my scriptures. It doesn't always have to be strictly, you know, reading the scriptures and the seminary answers. Sometimes yeah. your heart that God gave you wants to go on a hike today, you know, and 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 so do that instead of going on social media. You know, learn to listen to the heart is what I'm learning from you too. Any other thoughts here? Or, I mean, this is a good topic, obviously. How do you guys deal with distractions? I mean, honestly, you guys are bogged down by this stuff. Uh, we are too, like as adults. I'm not saying we're not, but you guys are constantly barraged with distractions in high school. How do you fight that? For me, um, distractions can be really hard to deal with, especially when it comes to schoolwork and trying to 
to get that done. Personally, I think I've been doing okay at this, but it's easy to, when you're doing homework, especially for me, math homework, mm-hmm. um, it's easy to want to pull out my phone and check YouTube. I, I have an issue where I look at YouTube and they're not bad videos. They're all about um, building models and engineering stuff because that's just the things I like. Um, but I find that I spend too much time learning about the things I want to, to learn about and not enough time actually doing the things that I need to be doing. So when whenever I feel myself doing that, I, I think to myself, no, I need to be on track. Um, just work for the next 20, 30 minutes, do as much as you can, and then watch one video or something. Mm. Um, and that's how I deal with distractions. Um, that that's worked for me cool that's really practical thank you um i liked what evie was when she was talking about fsy uh fsy this summer was like truly like a life-changing experience and my screen time that week had to have been so low and i (laughs) i have no idea how like that is so like out of the ordinary for me if i'm being entirely honest but I was just like not on my phone that week. I was like, I wasn't even tempted to like pick it up. And I think for me, the reason that was, was because everything we did that week was so centered to Christ. Everything, we were constantly um, serving other people. We were constantly reading in the scriptures and just, we were so consumed with the gospel that it was just like all these little worldly distractions just didn't matter anymore. And it was so nice to just, I don't know, have like, have um my time be filled with something that felt fulfilling and i think it's going back to like you know real life because like i swear like fsy was like its own world you know it's it's totally different because you're back to you you don't have your counselors anymore telling you to go to bed at a certain time or to get off your phone or like hey we're doing this now and it goes back to that like self-monitoring and that that was definitely like a weird adjustment because i was like i really liked how i felt at fsy how do i keep this in my life and I think it's a lot of um, some smaller things because I know I'm going to be on my phone. So one thing that I try to do is I put my wallpaper to be something like Christ-centered, whether it's a picture of Christ or a quote from an apostle that I love. Um, It's just like small little things like that that kind of bring me back to Christ that remind me of him throughout the day so that um, even if I do get distracted, maybe I can, you know, be pulled back. And I think it's just when we can incorporate like little things like that, it really does make a big difference and helps with those distractions because I am a very, very distracted person. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, it's all good. It's definitely, I think, something that everybody would relate to that we, we get distracted, but. Um, 1% better. Okay. Yeah. It's just finding continual ways to make yourself better. Um, I would say for me, have a mentality that like important things like scripture study are just as imp- uh, should be just as prioritized as homework. Like I feel like a lot of us have the mentality that I can't go to bed until my homework is done. Yeah. And so recently I've had the mentality of like if I don't do my scripture study, like I'm gonna die. Like I gotta do it like, before <laughs> going to bed. <laughs> that's like really extreme. That's awesome. But it's just like I don't know. That has I feel like that's really helped me. Like even if it's like little like okay, I'm gonna just like watch a general conference talk and like and then go to bed or something yeah. like that. But also, like, this has been kind of, like, my, I don't know, like, my motto, I guess, right now, is Liam in a recent letter, like, wrote to me about how, like, uh, go until it becomes a sacrifice. I feel like doing good is tiring, 
like staying up an extra 30 minutes to do your scripture study might make you tired the next day. But I feel like it definitely like spiritually just like fills you up and it's way better than skipping out on those things. Well, speaking of distractions, I think we need to get to the question from you, Andrew, that your mom made sure oh that we asked. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, a nice me. change of pace one here. <laughs> That's right. Another distraction would be that bread you brought. Yeah, it was really good. Robert I didn't baked think it'd be... bread for us, and it was awesome. I didn't think it'd come out that well. It came out really good. <laughs> I, haven't yeah. baked since, yeah. I haven't baked since Utah, so well, <laughs> I'm grateful. Okay. Uh, this, this, is, this is for my mom. Uh, her question yeah. was, uh, after your mission... Do you still speed a lot? Repentance exists for reasons. <laughs> um, the answer is obviously yes. I, I <laughs> Sometimes you just need to pass somebody and you need to just go a little faster than the time gives you. So yes, I still do it. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to say, honestly, but yes, I still do speed. Is there, is there a story there with you and Tina? That How does she know about your driving habits? To be honest, um, <laughs> I can't remember exactly, but I I think I I vaguely remember that. I think I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure she caught me one time speeding. And I think we had like a little talk and I told her I would do it. <laughs> I think that's why she's I think that's why she's still asking me, but Sadly, yes. I'm sorry, but hey, I think all of us are are guilty of it sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Yes, I've I've got a question here. Please. So i I need to know about you and I talked about this already. So we we went out to dinner last week, and we were talking about the mission. And one story I I need to know more about is yeah. the lady whose house burned down, and then she got baptized. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, this is such a good story. It's really sad, but it's uh, it has a good ending. So one day, we, me and my companion came to church, and there was this girl sitting with this really, really inactive member. Um, to be honest, I was kind of shocked he was there because sometimes he would just be straight up and, yeah, I'm not coming back. I'm, I'm okay. And I'm like, okay, no worries. We understand. And then we used to see him at church and he's with this really, he's just, he's just with this girl. She seems really interested, came to see her and she's, she's a little shy. She's pretty shy. And my companion asked her, he's like, Hey, like, would you like to kind of get to know the church a little more? I mean, you're here, might as well talk about it. Um, and so after church, uh, we kind of introduced ourselves a little bit better. We, she wasn't able to do it that day. But we kind of set up for a different day, got her number, and we eventually were able to have another lesson with her. Off the bat, she's just an incredible person. She really likes what we teach. She's incredibly down just to hear anything that we have to teach. Uh, overall, just just like this is like a dream as a missionary. You just kind of get somebody that really wants to hear about what you're trying to teach. And they're also reading everything that you're giving them. They're praying and they're coming to church. It's that's like the dream, like on the mission that you have somebody you're teaching like that. Um, we had a lesson scheduled with her at five o'clock, and we had a lesson at four o'clock. That was about five blocks from her house, and so we get to the lesson at four o'clock, and out of nowhere, we just hear sirens, like ambulance sirens. I'm like, okay, somebody maybe died or somebody's injured. 
but it wasn't a siren. So it's kind of funny because um, before firefighters get there, there's something called an aguadero. That's basically just like a truck that just has a bunch of water. And so before the firefighters even got there to fight the fire, there was literally just a guy that had just a bunch of water that just was passing by with sirens. And so that doesn't really happen where my where my area is. We just had the idea like, oh yeah, someone's house is on fire. We have, we have to go to the roof. So we went to the roof. Uh, and we're with our we're, we're with our investigator. When we get to the roof, we just see black smoke in the distance. And this does not happen where my area is. This is just not coming at all. So everybody's freaking out really. Like this is not something you have to see every day. So um, the lesson that we kind of had, we weren't really able to have because there's just too much distraction. Uh, just also it's really hard to teach when you just hear sirens all the time. And right. yeah, it's just, there wasn't really that much of insulation in the house. So we decided, let's just go see what's going on. Why not? <laughs> and so... Uh, at this time, it's around 4, 4.30-ish, 4.45-ish. And we kind of just walk up to there as so that took a little bit of time. And then when we get there, there's just a huge crowd of people. There's probably at least a good 200 people just everywhere. And eventually the firefighters came <laughs> right after they put out the fire. And I remember, I remember, I think it was my companion. I can't remember if it was me or my companion, but we were texting our friend. Uh, we're gonna have the lesson at five. If we can still confirm it, like, is it still okay? Can we come by? And she answers, just crying, just like, "Hello, like, I can't, I can't go to the lesson. My house is burnt down." I was like, "There's no way our our friend that we're teaching got their house burned down, or literally in front of it, just like looking at what's just being saved, and really nothing got saved. The whole thing was burnt down." Um, and so at this point, she already had a baptismal date. She was already going to get baptized a week, about a week later after that day. And so uh, it was, it was, an, it was just kind of a shock because I'm just, I, I don't know. I just never really had somebody ever have their house burned down that I, I've known in my life. I've never known anybody. And the person that we had ready for baptism got their house burned down. And so that was really, really sad. We reached out to the ward. All the leaders were able to help. They were able to donate some clothes, um, just kind of help her out as much as she can. We were able to meet the family as well. We were able to uh, share with them a message about just trusting in God in these kind of times. What's crazy is that after a couple of days after that, we found we found her just in the in the street, and we were kind of talking like, so you know. I don't think you're going to be able to get baptized this week. And she was like, yeah, I have no clothes. Like the clothes I have is all I have on right now. That's all I got. And so what's crazy is that all we did was just move the baptism up a week and to another Saturday and she got baptized. It literally didn't even like phase her. It really didn't even like care to her. That her house literally burnt down. Everything that was in the house just was gone. And she got baptized. And she has a calling and she's still active right now. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I do know she has a house right now. She just, she just, I think about a month ago, she got a new house. She's staying with family. So that was crazy. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Did they find out what caused the fire? Um. So what I remember when she was telling us, um, basically she said her neighbor left a stove on and, um, it's a desert. It's 
where we're at is basically a huge, huge desert. And so any kind of spark could just start anything. And so she told me that uh, she saw the room. She, she saw her room just like one of her walls just start going to flames. And so the stove was on the other side of her room. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I remember. Pretty crazy. That's faith though. Yeah. To be able that to me come from that and still get, get baptized. Yeah. Just push it back just a little bit. Yeah. Taught me a lot. Taught me a lot. I I did want to talk about a couple of things before we of close. Course, yeah. So we we've talked a little bit about Peru, but if you could tell us more, just paint a broad picture of what the cities were like. You served in uh, the people that you met with, your friends, things like that. Uh, just help us understand that a little bit more. Yeah, of course. So uh, my first area in Peru um, was a pretty poor place in peru the i mean the word in spanish is pobre but they don't like really using it it's a little offensive so they say humble humilde it was a great area honestly we had lots of work to do i think that was one of the biggest differences coming from utah to peru um i think the max amount of friends i had in utah was five maybe six and then when i got to peru our max was like 25 (laughs) and the truth is that we had a really big area. Actually, as we're speaking, that area got divided. Um, it got split because of how much work there is and there's a lot, lots of area. So kind of having a really, really big area with lots of work, lots of people we got to teach, it really taught me the diligence part of the mission. My second area uh, was a little bit nicer, a little more developed into a city. Um, that was... Pretty nice coming out of something that's that all I knew was Peru. All all I knew was Lima. So there's better food. There was better buildings. We we're able to sit on more couches and, <laughs> and stools. A lot of the times we we're able to have a roof, <laughs> right? So that was kind of cool. Kind of just coming from nothing to something. <laughs> um, so that, that was that was pretty nice. Uh, there was lots of lots of pretty good work over there. Not as much as uh, my first area. It was a little more developed city. So. Not everybody is the most open or humble, like the people people in my first area. Uh, my third area was easily the hardest. Basically, think about like think of it like New York City, but it's Peru. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, people just live there just to sleep, and they just go to work, and they come back just late, super late. They just sleep, they work, and they eat, and that's basically all they do. So not a lot of people have a family in this part of uh, Lima. It's just a super big area just to work. And what was nice is that since it's a little more city, there's also a lot better food. (laughs) And there's also just kind of just really big chain restaurants. Um, For example, there was actually a Popeye's that was opening up before I left. There was a shawarma place, a shawarma place that was fantastic. And it got lots of good money. I I went there like four times a week. Um, yeah, it was so good. So, you know, there's there's plus and minuses about it. But if there's anything I would have wanted more, there was just more people to teach. So having my first area, lots of lessons uh, was really kind of what I've always liked. And you mentioned that going from Leighton, Utah to Peru was kind of like a second wind for you. I'm curious oh, yeah. more what that meant oh, yeah. and, and if you could unpack that a bit definitely um 
so when you get to the mission and you get when you get to a your mission and you get to know the areas you get to know the zones you get to know basically everything about it you kind of develop like a comfort it's like your house like it's like your home it's everything you know right and so by the time when i hit 10 months uh i was super comfortable i just loved having a car i liked getting fed free food I like going wherever mm-hmm. I want and mission and uh, not spaghetti. Yeah, yeah, not spaghetti, not, not spaghetti. spaghetti. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, exactly. You could go to wherever you want, and members will pay for you. You could go to Walmart when you're gonna buy your groceries. People will pay for that. Oh, it was like paradise. It was pretty nice, <laughs> except for the spaghetti. Except for the spaghetti. Yeah, that is just gross. <laughs> but uh, so having like so many of those nice things, you're like, how could you want to leave this? It's great, but. the work was a whole different aspect Uh, it wasn't really the best so i got really really comfortable and then when i when my visa came i was so nervous i was scared i was genuinely scared i really have it in me to tell myself i can go to a different country and do the same things that i just did here in utah for for some reason like that just scared the heck out of me I was blown blown away just nervous and not confident in myself that i can do this also just in like a bubble of like ah this is my this is my home like this is where i started my mission this is where i've just kind of gained all these like uh things and so accepting accepting to go to peru was hard but it was so worth it in the end it was a couple it was a little rough a little rough the first couple days kind of just adapting adjusting to just everything because it's a whole different world it's a whole 360 uh different world over there uh but the first thing I fell in love with was the people and just working as fast as possible and just meeting so many people that aren't members because that's pretty, pretty common in Utah. So um, I absolutely fell in love with Peru fast and I loved with the person and the missionary I was becoming. Um, I feel like there's a difference between you as a person and the missionary you can become. So I really, really felt like I could become a missionary there. The diligence, the teaching, the obedience, uh, all of that, I feel like it's something I've always wanted. But in Utah, I just couldn't get that. But in Peru, I really, really understood the process of just developing that. The other thing I wanted to ask you before you leave is, you know, you have family from Peru. Yeah. Were you able to able to connect with anybody? Yeah. My... Like my third, la- my my last three weeks, uh, I was able to have a lunch with them. Uh, some of my aunts, some of my uncles, some of my cousins came, and we just had a really good lunch. It was awesome. It was it was pretty brief. It couldn't be too too long because my mission president didn't let me have too too long. But um, it was it was a good amount of time to be with them. What does that mean to you in your relationship with your mom and your family? Oof. My my mom's from Peru. She was there uh, until she was 25, I think. I don't know. It's really, really special that I was able to get sent to Peru. Literally a half hour where my mom was born, where she grew up, where she met the missionaries and knew the gospel. And then I could preach the gospel literally super close to where she was living. Um, that, to me, it was incredible. Uh, I, just, I just loved how the Lord kind of put that all together. And then put my put my life just pretty close to where she was at. All right. Well, Robert, I'm going to modify our last question a little bit here. So I, I wanted to know, reflecting on your mission and now where you're at at this point in life, 
how has serving a mission helped you in the development of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Boy, that's a good question. That's a really good question. The Savior has always been my greatest example. Just kind of knowing the joy that comes from trying to be like him and the journey that it takes, the, the hardship, the challenges, the trials, the difficulties that come with it. Um, and then seeing the, the results as literally described in Lehi's vision as the fruit of the tree being very, very sweet that Lehi himself wants his, his family and other people to partake of it as well. I have, to, I have partaken of that fruit because of Jesus Christ. And because of the mission, I was able to partake of even more of that fruit. I feel like I took three more bites because of the mission, right? When I first knew the church was true, I, I took a bite. I took a nibble, right? Mm -hmm. But the mission really helped me take a bite and really enjoy it. And now that I'm home, it's uh, a whole different uh, ball game because I've just had, I've just had to learn different things and apply them to my life. But that's the goal: partaking of the fruit of the tree of life. Always finding new ways to convert myself more to Jesus Christ. It's a constant puzzle, a constant thing. I'm always trying to figure out, and how can I go above and beyond? And throughout that whole process, there's just straight joy. Yes, there's yes, there's hardships. Yes, there's trials, but what I love about all of that is there's a video called The Refiner's Fire about this lady that has gone through many, many different hardships. She related to Newman's Law. She said every uh, every reaction or every opposite equal reaction uh, is kind of like our joy and sorrow. It's like the more joy you feel, uh, the more sorrow you feel, the higher capacities you are to feel joy. And that's exactly how the mission has helped me feel that joy, through the sorrow, through trials through difficulties i've been able to partake of more of the the fruit the tree of life and really enjoy it more than ever and so i've come to jesus christ the more i feel joy and i feel joy every day so i don't know why i would stop thanks robert and thanks for coming on we're amazed at the person you're becoming uh thank you lexi uh, Evie and Andrew, we appreciate you guys' time and well, and we're amazed at what you guys are becoming. So we'll, thanks for we'll having us. Yeah, Thank for having me. Time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connection Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to continue to interview return missionaries over the next month here. We're going to get Abram Gallup in the next few days as he returns from his mission in Japan. So looking forward to that one as well. And then we have we have several other great episodes coming up. A little bit of a change to the schedule, uh, but we're going to continue the Who We're Becoming series. Talk with a friend of mine who is the pastor and founder of Waypoint Church. A few other great episodes coming up. So just tune in. It's going to be a great month or two. Uh, we are approaching another milestone for those who are following and interested. We're getting close to 400 subs now on the channel. We are at currently 386. So continue sharing. I love what you guys are doing. Um, I love the reach we've been able to have with this podcast, sharing people's stories. So thank you again. Wouldn't be possible without you. Really appreciate everybody that's listened to, loved, and shared the show. Thanks. Bye.